Welcome to Deep Focus. I'm your host, Mitch Goldman. This is part two of three parts from this episode from June 6, 2016. William Hooker and Steve Dalachinsky, my guests on the topic of Cecil Taylor. Enjoy.
Oh, yeah. You are in the Teatro Olimpico in the... Uh, what is that? Uh, that is in the Academia Filarmonica Romana in Rome, Italy. That's where we are. But, um, yeah, music from the magnificent Cecil Taylor, the subject of tonight's Deep Focus broadcast. I'm Mitch Goldman, William Hooker in the studio with us, Steve Dalachinsky in the studio with us, and uh, we are exploring the music. That was a live recording of music you've never heard. unless Yes, you were, never heard. You never heard that. All right, what year is that? 2002, May 16th, 2002. 2002. Solo, Solo Cecil Taylor, all by himself on stage in a magnificent uh, wow. classical yeah. music venue. European music venue, and uh, obviously a uh, wildly thrilled audience hanging on every note that he played, it seemed, and when he finally brought it to an end, they burst to life. And I understand that Italy's like that. Yeah. My experience, <laughs> I've... I've <laughs> it's the boss today. You <laughs> well, no, I mean... Uh, I understand it's like that. That's it what is. I heard. Yeah, I'm going to I, I have Marco seen... Marco Polo. I'm going to see. I'm going to see. I'm going to see. I know only my, my own limited experience. Yes, tell me about it. I've traveled in Italy oh. with musicians, oh. and I've seen, yeah, very enthusiastic, great... You know what? I mean, all over Europe. And uh-huh, maybe uh-huh. variations here and there. But that recording is an excellent example of, uh, that was a state radio recording, Rai. The yeah, yeah, yeah. Made that recording. And uh, they have these fantastic full-time professional engineers with great facilities, remote trucks that go to locations, studios. Uh, they developed uh, microphone techniques for recording um, acoustic music. Yes. And... Uh, there is support from these government-sponsored radio stations and television stations uh-huh. to present serious work, improvised right. music, and you know, great love of American culture, and uh, also European music, and all kinds of other things that go along with that. And um, you hear this all over the continent. Wow. And luckily, a lot of these recordings that we play are derived from that. And these are recordings. Uh-huh. They're not... Um, licensed for commercial release so we don't see them as cds for sale and uh, a lot of them a lot of the recordings that i've played on this show don't appear in any of the discographies they're not really known to exist right but, right. right it's you know, like uh, radio france and bbc stuff yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. dr in uh yeah, D-D- denmark yeah. and uh uh ZDF in Germany, all yeah. So all how did you get? How did you get this for the archive here? The, um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I know a, I know a guy. <laughs> he knows a guy. Of course, I know that same guy, but all and, he ever brings me is Pepsi Cola. No, and they can get you uh, carpets half price too. Oh yeah. Come talk to me after. Yeah, take care of you. No, all carpeting, right, anything, any kind of interior floor covering, anything like that. Or improvised music recordings. I actually have a question for you uh, in regard to Cecil. Remember, I don't even remember the year, but you remember you you gave me one of those black and white T-shirts that had a painting on it. I did. You did, or you didn't? I I don't know. Tell me. Oh, okay, never mind. Did I? I I thought you gave me this black and white. uh, It was a black T-shirt with a a painting of Cecil from. Tour. I bet I know exactly who you're talking about. It wasn't me. It I'm going to say it was probably Eddie Shankin. 
Eddie Shank is <laughs> That's right. God, I forgot about Eddie Shank. Sorry, I take it back. Because didn't he work? Didn't he work at KCR for a while? He did not. He did not. He, he worked with Cecil for a while. He did. Right. I wonder what happened to him. Okay, let's forget that subject. That's Eddie Shankin is a uh, professor of art history at uh, Rhode Island School of Design. Oh, doctor, really? Doctor Eddie Shankin. He's a doctor now. I need yes. a doctor. Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. Let's. Get Hello, Eddie. Again. Hey, Eddie, how are you? So, um, Cecil right. Taylor stated That was this, 1989, by the way. 89, right? Not yeah. to disrespect uh, Mr. Schenken, but Cecil Taylor said this. He said, John Cage doesn't have the right to make any comment about jazz, nor would Stravinsky have the right to make evaluations about jazz because they don't know the tradition that jazz came out of. I spent years in school learning about European music and its traditions. But these cats don't know a thing about Harlem except that it's there. Right away, when they talk about music, they talk in terms of what music is to them. Wow. They never subject themselves to like, what are Louis Armstrong's criteria for beauty? And until they do that, then I'm not interested in what they have to say because they simply don't recognize the criteria. I'm almost, I'm almost on the verge of tears at this point. Because that is undoubtedly why I've pursued some of the projects that I have, I've been pursuing. The project with Oscar Michaud, for example. He's always seen through the eyes of D.W. Griffith. Oscar Michaud, let me just give people a little bit of background. I don't want to hear everything you have to say about this. Uh, Oscar Michaud, a great filmmaker, uh, African-American filmmaker, of the uh, earlier period of film right. and uh, silent era, um, left some brilliant work, which you, William, have been exploring in depth and performing your music to his films to great effect around the world. Um, I've had the great pleasure of experiencing that. It's an incredibly rich body of work made that much richer by your performances. Another is James Baldwin. Mm-hmm. Mm. Big influence on me when I was young. Big influence on me when I was young. Well, I don't mean while you know, I am now. Yeah, well, me too. I, James you know, Baldwin. I mean, James Baldwin's. James Baldwin's. Uh, he's so on point. It's scary. It's scary, and it's scary because I would always have to listen to people tell me about the condition of black people in this country through the eyes of sociologists and, and, and people that really had no idea about the criteria through which they were talking about. And I always had to, I always had to refer to these people as the vantage point through which to make the conversation. And in fact, I didn't, I didn't, I just didn't care about these people. 
I just didn't care about him. You know, um, just like I may not have known about, like, you know, um, Henry Purcell, they never knew about James Cleveland. Who did? They, they, you know, they never knew about this. They didn't know. They didn't know. They, they didn't know I was studying in, in California. I was studying all about, like, the, the various gods that, that it takes to deal with certain ritualistic things of bringing spirits down. They didn't know that. They just think, oh, it's noise. Oh, it's free. Oh, it's like, let's get stoned and have a good time. Blah, blah, blah. They didn't realize that this is, this is the criteria that many of the people who play free jazz know about. They didn't realize. They, and they don't care. They really don't care. That's why I got very... That's why that's why I got a little bit a little bit touched right there. Because well, that was a quotation just to tell yeah, folks from yeah. Cecil Taylor. That was a quotation from Cecil Taylor. And you, I don't you, I've always thought you were a little bit touched. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, thank you, man. You no. just broke me out of that space. Because well, you, you, know, you know what I mean. You know you know you just broke I, me out of that. I do what space. you know, I do know what you mean, but what's also very interesting is John Cage who, who it's always been said, you know, didn't think much about jazz to begin with. Kind of the opposite was true with Stravinsky. He kind of followed, whether whether it was because of that or not. He kind of followed the uh, he kind of followed the Gershwin-esque thing, and he did a bunch of pieces based on jazz, particularly that era jazz ragtime. And I once remember buying the record. You know, I mean, you can't not like you know, Rite of Spring, if your life depends on, you know, Bird-like Rite of Spring, it was one of his favorite records. So, but when I listened to, this was me, because- I got you. When I listened to Stravinsky's jazz thing, it was kind of like when I listened to Gershwin's jazz thing. It it, it it seemed to be lacking substance, although now I've, I appreciate Gershwin more, mostly because he and his brother wrote some really beautiful <laughs> songs, you know? Uh, but uh, you know, this, but the one thing is Stravinsky at least was aware of and tried to use the genre. But I think what Cecil means is that real depth thing. You you don't you don't know what it is until you experience it. Unless your blood um, is unless in you, it. Yeah, le- right. Exactly. I mean, you know, I mean, this is this is like you know, this is trial by blood. This is like people have died for this. I mean, are you kidding me? Yeah. Right. You know, I don't, I don't, I'm, you know, and they've died for this, and on top of it, there's still this criteria of you got to be like Superman for me to even put you in like the New York Times next to the most the the a flunky. I'm, well, I'm, 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 I'm sort of like I'm sort of like sick of that. I'm really sick of that. Well, I'm sick of that because mm. I'm sick of that because it doesn't show the wholeness through which this music that Cecil Taylor is playing in the group ethic, because playing in a group is very important. Playing in a group is very important. And you could have all different kinds of people in that group, but you know through the people that you choose to be in the group and to take that journey with you, you know these people are in there because they're willing to give their blood. Just like you know people through history have given their blood. Well, and, yeah, and, yeah, and, I agree. Yeah, yeah. But, and, but the and, great thing about uh, Cecil that I also okay, go. found in my own Maybe way I'm of listening. Maybe I'm talking about myself and, and my relationship mm, to what he just said, but go on. But also when we deal with the sound of what's happening. The sound yeah, of what's happening. Yeah, you know, what I, what I 
came upon, again, you know, this is just my personal way, when I felt that thing about allowing for anarchy but not dissent, mm -hmm. at that same moment I also realized what I said about whether it's, it's a cat like, you know, Frank Wright playing uh, with Cecil or whether it's uh, the people who've been playing with Antonio him. Antonio Gaudi, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, the thing about Cecil's sound... Yes. Uh, I mean, when I was a kid, I kept saying, boy, I, I can't, I wish I could hear a record where Train plays with Dolphy. I wish I could hear a record where Roland Kirk plays only flute. I wish I could hear a record where Cecil does a solo, and then all of a sudden I found Silent Tongues. But, yeah. and, and so I was always more in tune to certain, the voice of the certain cat, not necessarily everything that was happening around them, except maybe something like, you know, Max Roach, Clifford Brown Quintet, where it's one voice that just, but what I learned this at the Whitney, for the first time I realized, Cecil is so, talking about that tradition thing, yeah. he's so in the tradition of, of the Max Roach, Clifford Brown Quintet, uh, particularly, you know, Horace, Horace Silver's groups, Art Blakey's groups. And why I say this is because no matter who played with those guys, there was the sound of right. those yeah. guys. Yeah. And, you know, whether you took, whether you were Wayne Shorter and took a great solo, whether you were Sonny Rollins, Harold Land, your, your solo may have been your solo and your sound, your sound, but the group, and when I was listening to them at the Whitney, especially the second night when, you know, with Harry playing with them and it was a small group, group I said yeah whoever plays with Cecil they become his sound so that's okay. when, and that's when yeah. I realized he'll allow a certain amount of anarchy but you can't like go away you can't go away you might okay. he'll let you go away on your solo but when you're back it's like whether you want to or not you become his sound and that sound of course is the most evident when he's playing solo or when he's when he's reading his poetry or when he's dancing because they're all so unique to him. And, you know, we could all sit here and talk about musicians we love, and, but I've said this, you know, since I'm, a, since I'm a kid, but if we go on our fingers and say, yeah, but that guy went from A to B and he really developed his sound, and the same with painting, same with poetry, uh, there's so few of them. And, uh, and and when I saw that, wow, yeah, I've always felt this, but I was never able to articulate, sure, man, he's in the tradition of all those, you know, Miles Davis, you know, it didn't matter who played in the group or whether the tunes were written differently by Wayne Shorter, the basic thing was it was Miles Davis's sound. And then when Miles Davis went from, you know, acoustic to electric, even if certain ideas changed, it was his sound. And then after that, you know, everybody's trying to play that sound. You know, when I saw McCoy play the other night, you know, he was so integral to Coltrane's sound. And when he left and became his own entity as a player, as a leader, you know, the one thing about McCoy, he had his own sound. And then when you hear people play with McCoy, even if, oh, I don't like the way that that Valdo player sounds, but when he's playing McCoy's music, even if I don't like his sound, he's playing McCoy's sound. And I remember growing up, the two main pianists for me, after beside you know, the line from you know Bud Powell to Cecil and to McCoy, 
or the line from Ellington to Monk, the two guys, when I was a formative teenager, started listening heavily, was McCoy and Cecil. They were two guys who had this sound that of that generation of players, no matter how many great players there were, there were very few that had a sound. That's for me, personally. No, that's no, 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 I understand that. I understand it completely. And that's how I felt when I, when I saw the only thing I can, the only thing, The only thing I would like to elaborate on, mm-hmm. as far as that goes, mm-hmm. is that that sound, you have to fight for that sound. Oh, sure. You have to fight to be able to give that part of yourself to others. Let me ask you about that in relation to this quote that you just read. Yes, yes. My sense of that quote is that somebody must have asked him some question putting his music in some terms to do with something, with John Cage or something Cage had said. Maybe Cage said something uh, positive about Cecil's music, and Cecil was rejecting that. But um, what you're talking about, fighting for your sound, and that quotation from Cecil Taylor saying these people don't understand, don't even have a basis to discuss, let alone judge my music, point to one thing in common about, and it's something that I think we all appreciate very profoundly and respect about Cecil, is that fact that everything he does seems to come from this place of no doubt, no hesitation, no second guessing. No, you're, you know, he's driving the bus and you're on the bus, man. You want to jump off the bus? We're on a bridge well, over, right. not you know. caring whether you're on the bus or not. Right, right. right. And that, I mean, I can only imagine for an artist, for a group leader, that's got to be a very, very profound thing to experience. It is. And, and, and you see it happen. You see, you see, you see people that actually have to die and when they die, you realize all they were trying to do was give themselves. You realize that. And then you also realize that resources to be able to give to others are oftentimes distributed based on people that don't understand the criteria through which you're through which you're trying to give and what you're doing they have no clue so that means that you it's not like it's not as if it's not as if you're taking this personally as a leader you're taking this to the fact that all of these people are not going to have a chance to give that's the way you're looking at it and in many people's cases because unfortunately the way that we see things and people that get it and the people that don't get it, you realize the way they're saying right now, your life just doesn't matter. It really doesn't. And then you say to yourself, really? Really? And so you have to, you have to become, you, you, have to, um, you have to become the type of a person that realizes that this is the state of affairs. What's going on? Whether people are whether people are educated to it or they're not educated to it, I'm still not going to let them off the hook. Mm-hmm. 
because I would think that there's something in their soul, in their gut, that's telling them that there's something about this particular, this particular way we're explaining things that's wrong. You know, they should know that. But if they don't know it, I'm still not letting them off the hook. But that's me. Some people can just forget it. Yeah, I'll forget it for a minute. You know, while I'm, you know, having some cotton candy at Coney Island. I'll forget it. But when I come back, when I come back and I try to set up that platform for that next musician to get ready to get off, that next musician to get ready to go into another place where he or she is going to take that entire group sound, which is my sound, really. Right. And we're going to bring it into another place and we're going to present it in a place that really gives me all the resources to be able to do it, like at the Vision Festival this well, time. Yeah. And also, well, let me, uh, and like also, at the Vision Festival yes. this Right, but time. also what you did at, at the Stone, it gave you an it gave you the opportunity to voice your sound in so many different ways it. and so many different I concepts. Me, I loved it. Let me I let the people I loved, know. I loved it, Steve. I loved it. We have people who might be just joining us who don't, well, first of all, they might not realize they're listening to WKCR-FM New York wow. and WKCR-HD1. They might not know that uh, Jazz Alternatives is the program heard each weeknight from 6 to 9 p.m. They might not know that sometimes on Mondays we yeah, do this show, know, huh? we call Many, huh? Deep call Focus. <laughs> we call it Deep Focus because we put this laser-like vision to, uh, what's, the, uh, what's the sonic equivalent of vision? This Golly. laser-like. Uh, uh, sonic. The sonic. sonic focus. I'll leave this up to you. Come on. on what is it, bitch? On the music of one artist. The sonority of the. Uh, ooh, oh. Tonight's case, uh, we're listening to the music of Cecil Taylor and the insight of William and Steve Dalachinsky. And you guys are are bringing the love. And uh, William, you just made a glancing reference to something we talked about a bit earlier that bears repetition. The Vision Festival is in full flower all this week. Artsforart.org is the website. And go there, and you will read all about William Hooker's performance this Friday, Friday night at 7 p.m., this Friday, June 10th. And uh, I love this. you got this piece, Triangle, Symbol of Perfection. And also on the bill, uh, it's a great bill, great bill, tons of great music going right through the night. Um, Michelle Rosewoman's New Yoruba, uh, Cooper Moore with the quartet, Bob Holman, Todd Nicholson, Faye Victor, Sound Noise Quartet. Um, and you uh, getting it all started with um, Triangle, Symbol of Perfection. And that is just one of six nights. Yes. And we have a tote bag this year. And the tote bag. No coffee cups. That's true. Tote bag. Not a joke. That's good. I got my own drum set, too. <laughs> You're going to see those tote bags My all over drums town. are coming with me. Oh, you're bringing my your, oh, drums! You're really bringing your own set of drums. Oh, uh, hey, hey! They, 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 they scream for, they scream for uh, the love. They do. If you I ha- leave them there and I go play some other drums, I get back. They're like, oh, what do do? no, <laughs> <laughs> no. It just so happens. It just so happens. Uh, my drum set is um, it's a, a set of Ludwig's, and uh, they're old school. And I have a big bass drum. I have. Everything is not over massive size, but uh, it's just that the the way they project is completely different than usually the kind of drum sets I get in places. 
be they uh, festivals or not. And um, it just so happens that this, this is the opportunity that I have because it's a vision festival in New York City, my city, that's going to enable me to bring my drum set there to actually experience with the people that are at Vision Festival the real William Hooker, now, me. Which is interesting, seem, you know. Yeah. It's like some people used to always say to me, the great, one of the great things about being a poet. What did they say? You don't have to bring an easy load a pencil and a piece right. of paper. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, speaking of that and speaking of Cecil's poetry. Oh, go. Because you didn't, uh, you were away during the show, so they had oh, a whole, yeah, you know, uh, they, I've been trying to, not just me, but other people, uh, have been trying to help Cecil get a book of his stuff together. And uh, what's really uh, interesting is Cecil writes almost all his poetry, as far as anything I've seen and what was in the show there, on pieces of scrap paper. You know, it's all written on, just like his notations, you know, for the music. They're all on scrap Revelations, they're raining down on you. It's Deep Focus. This is June 2016. Steve Dalachinsky with a straight-on view. Very rare. Cecil Taylor. And I'm so sad to say there ain't no more of those coming. Cecil was still with us. Steve, of course, was still with us in 2016. They are both gone. And uh, this view of the world is fading. I'm so Glad we got to do this. Look for Steve's work. Steve's a great poet, and uh, you'll find it. If you look, Dalachinsky, D-A-L-A-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y, Steve Dalachinsky, Cecil Taylor, of course. Lots of music available to you for purchase and download. Long discography. Very incredibly rich. And William Hooker, also. You can go to, I think he's... I think it's williamhooker.net, spelled the way it sounds. You'll find him if you look. Uh, .com, .net, oof, I should know. <laughs> but um, seek and ye shall find. William, and we really just can't wait for this uh, COVID quarantine to lift so uh, you can get back to hearing people like William perform. He has always got a bucket full of cool imaginative things that he's doing so look out for him too all right it's deep focus go find part three and if you haven't heard it part one of this program from june of 2016 if you don't know uh, you can find deep focus on your favorite podcasting app or at podbean mitchgoldman.podbean.com or come chase us down on instagram